Hello and welcome to the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you doing this week, sir? It's good to see you. I'm doing great. Softball started up yesterday. We got baseball starting up soon. Spring sports are fully kicking into gear. And you know, we love some baseball and softball, so I'm having a great time. How about you? Yeah, I, I knew you'd be fired up for that. When I see it on the agenda, I know I know Dustin's about to get right back. I mean, it's, it's like football softball for you, at least the way I see you. So, uh, yeah, no, I knew you're fired up for it. Uh, a great start to the season yesterday. So I know we'll get into that and a whole lot of other stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it is good to see softball and baseball, you know, kicking the season off, especially knowing – that basketball is going the way it is. We'll get into Very all of true. that. Um, but first, let's say a quick thank you to our friends at Charlie Hustle. This podcast is brought to you by Charlie Hustle Clothing Company, a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best-dressed fan this season, so be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today. With over 30 schools to choose from, you've they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs. So shop today at www.charliehustle.com. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. And when you use our promo code 101215, you'll get 15% off all non-sale items. Dustin, we really appreciate Charlie Hustle uh, and and, uh, their support of the Feels Like 45 podcast. Excited to continue on with them for another year and another offseason. So Dustin, I know we got a lot to get into, but one quick thing I wanted to hit and uh, to get the conversation started on the football side of things, Oklahoma State, Returning production, we talked a little bit about this. Bill Connolly released his you know, annual report of returning production in the Big 12. And to nobody's surprise, not certainly not mine, not yours, Oklahoma State, way high up in the Big 12, returning 81%, second in the Big 12. Dustin, your, your first thought on that. Yeah, I you know, so he updates this a few times per year. I think like when the spring portal window... He calculates it again and then right at August. But Virginia Tech leads the country at 86%. You mentioned Oklahoma State's number. They're fourth most in the nation. You said second most in the Big 12. And the other thing you got to think about with this, Cade, is if you go and like look at some of these true production numbers and compare them to teams like Virginia Tech and like look at the how well the team performed last year. I honestly think you would put Oklahoma state at number one with returning production based on the season they had last year, based on individual performers like Ollie Gordon. I know that sounds obviously orange Kool-Aid, orange shaded glasses, Homer-ish, but I truly believe that. And I know we're going to get into when we talk about the transfer portal and the recent commit Oklahoma state got, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but I do think it was a great call out from you to kind of mention this because it's awesome to see, especially after last season where Oklahoma well, State lost a bulk of their production in on both sides of the ball with Mason Cobb, John Paul Richardson, a lot of the big names leaving 
Spencer Sanders obviously being one of them. And now you've got pretty much everybody back on both sides of the ball. It's pretty awesome to see. Yeah, last year, Dustin, they returned 57% of their production from the previous season. And so you contrast that with what they are doing now. We've talked about like, you know, it's been a quiet offseason compared to last year. Well, there's your data point. Like if you're a data guy, you don't you don't want to go off the field. There's your proof in the pudding. And I love what you said. It's not just production. It's not just people like bodies on the field. You're returning, you know, a team that went to the Big 12 title game and yeah, the should quality be, of production yeah, should be the odds on favorite, in my opinion, to win the Big 12 just based on that alone. We'll see if that actually holds up. But no, I think it's fascinating. And again, Mike Gundy deserves a ton of credit. The coaching staff, uh, the players deserve a ton of credit for buying in and keeping the core together. I mean, eight, eight, 81% is the number, I think. That is really, it seems like it's going to be difficult to achieve that more in, like year in and year out as the transfer portal becomes so much more involved. So, Yeah, it's it's awesome. We just wanted to hit that real quick because yeah, there's not really any current football team notes right now outside of the one transfer portal commit who we'll get to and some recruiting notes. Cade, a very rare thing happened this week, but it's something I think we expected with the December early signing day coming into the fold of the recruiting process in recent years. This past Wednesday, it might have gone unnoticed. You know, if a, <laughs> if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, does it make a sound type thing? Wednesday was National Signing Day for college football. OSU didn't sign a single person because everybody signed in December. That's the first time, I, kid. I went back and looked. I think it's the first time in, at least in our lifetimes, at least going back to when we can remember Oklahoma State recruiting in football. So, you know, a while ago now that they that this has ever happened and it's obviously driven by early signing day but it's still wild to see no high school or junior college athletes sign a national letter intent to Oklahoma State on national signing day yeah do you ever have a like recurring meeting at work that at one point it was super super important and then as time <laughs> goes on it's like we don't need this at all like we could delete the national signing day calendar invite in my opinion at this point yeah because nobody's Bring doing it back it. as needed switch it from weekly to uh monthly yeah and and i'm definitely marking myself as not attending so um optional yeah so for me i i think it is fascinating just the way the landscape has changed but i mean it it's not really national signing day anymore it it is technically but national signing day has moved and so uh i'm in favor of deleting the calendar invite it's another day uh in my opinion but it is crazy because i remember used to sitting in the you know i i actually vividly remember i think it was the year jadavian clowney signed i was sitting in the like high school cafeteria watching him do it. I mean, it was a spectacle national signing day was, and now it has just completely changed. So. Yeah. And with early signing day, which has become a spectacle in itself, but with the two, it's just kind of, it's kind of diluted both of them. Basically yeah, there, neither one is a big spectacle now. So it's, it's very interesting, but speaking of this recruiting class and one of those guys who signed in December, Trey Griffiths, the wide receiver out of Keller, Texas, after 247, who we use for 
our rankings on here, we kind of stay away from the composite rankings because some of these recruiting sites, I don't think do as great of a job in updating their rankings. So we try to just stick with two, four, seven, not saying they're amazing at it either, but I think they do a better job than looking at the composite. They upgraded their 2024 class rankings. I believe it was last Monday. And Trey Griffiths has jumped from a three-star to a four-star. Pretty significant like number ranking jump for him as well. You don't normally see that big of a jump. Normally, it kind of just bumps everybody up a little bit or bumps anybody down a little bit. So he's now the only four-star in the class, the highest-rated guy. When we talked about this signing class, Cade, Griffiths was a guy both of us mentioned if Oklahoma State needed a wide receiver to come onto the field, we don't think they do. We think they have enough depth. But to say there is a bulk of injuries, a bunch of people leaving the spring transfer portal window, and you had to pick one guy from this class on offense who could go out there and play right away, I think both of us landed on Griffiths just because his body is already so developed. He's a bigger guy. He runs routes out of the slot, out of the outside receiver spot. He His athleticism is insane he's a track guy that does triple dump triple jump he's i think he was like a state finalist in a lot of the jumping track and field events he's just a guy that and now gabe brooks let let me read you gabe brooks uh from 247's analysis on him with this rating bump reviewing griffith's senior season i couldn't help but get some elijah higgins vibes higgins was a bit heavier coming out of high school but the 2023 fifth round pick and Griffiths share a similar play style and frames griffiths might need a little time but he possesses trait that suggests similar nfl draft upside when you look at oklahoma state's class ranking you don't think that you're going to see that kind of analysis for one of the guys and if you did you'd probably think it'd be my smith not Trey Griffiths. So yeah. I, I love that he got this bump and I think he deserves it. Yeah, this is the classic fake news, you know, recruiting media here because uh, I'm, I'm kidding. But what you see oftentimes <laughs> is Oklahoma State will offer a guy. In this case, Griffiths has flown under the radar far longer than you normally see. Usually these guys are kind of on top of it. And so to hear that analysis is great, but I, I, I felt like he flew under the radar for far too long based on his tape. And so it's nice to see people doing their homework, but it also kind of validates that Oklahoma state usually is ahead on some of these things. And so um, I think he is a, I think your last point about you wouldn't expect a note about NFL draft potential with him based on the signing class. I love that point because with him, I think you could easily have missed this if it's a it's a three star kid under the radar. But you look at it like Oklahoma State looks at the talent they're bringing in and and there is potential there. I think Griffiths is going to be awesome. And when you talk about four star recruits at the receiver spot that have come in previously, I mean, Dustin, help me out here. But that's like that's like your talent Shetron caliber recruit. That's going to be like a CJ Moore. Like this is a this is a legit guy that's coming onto campus yeah I, I think it's awesome and i don't think they'll need him next year but i think he's the type of guy who could come in early learn the offense and get out there on the field if he needed to do so so excited to see what griffiths does in the future and Cade, uh outside of the 2024 class 
the class that we've been talking about a lot more recently on the pod, 2025, since we kind of switched over to the 2025 class, they got to commit. So Matreo Lopez, 2025 wide receiver, 5'11", 175 pounds from Idabel High School in Idabel, Oklahoma, currently not ranked. Idabel's 2A. He was an honorable mention on the Oklahoma, the Oklahoma's All-State 2A team. I think he, you know, he got, he had the unofficial visit last weekend and then the commitment right away. He's going to, he's got his official visit scheduled for April 5th. This is a guy that's kind of flying a little bit under the radar. He's got offers from Oklahoma State, Washington State, North Texas, Tulsa, UTSA, but he's a do-it-all type of guy that I think Oklahoma State is looking for in a, you know, maybe a, a guy that you could play in the slot a guy that you could throw in the backfield at times, a guy that you could put at the outside receiver spot, almost like a Brennan Presley type of guy. He rushed for 484 yards on 37 carries with nine touchdowns. That's 13.1 yards per carry. He caught 41 passes for 18 or 814 yards and 10 touchdowns. On defense, he had 61 tackles, five tackles for loss, three picks. He returned one of those for a pick six. And then he had two Special teams returned touchdowns on kick return. He also scored a touchdown on a punt return. So 22 total touchdowns. He said Coach Dunn told him that he sees him playing wide receiver at Oklahoma State, either inside or outside. And, I mean, just the athleticism and versatility of this guy. He's averaging 10 points and nine rebounds a game right now for Idabel in basketball. So I think this is a great get. I think he's very dynamic, and I'm glad Oklahoma State got on in on him and got a commitment from him early because I think he's a guy that's going to kind of start popping off a little bit as he moves into his final year. Yeah, Dustin, also 60-inch vertical on this kid. Uh, if you scroll down his Twitter timeline, he's got a 60-inch box jump, which, I mean, if you said 5'11", that's like yeah, he's yeah he's he can not a almost tall jump guy. over himself. Uh, so that's <laughs> that's pretty amazing. I, I I totally agree with you. This is I mean it gets like a, a usual trope from me, but it's this is typical Mike Gundy going in and getting somebody that is dominating at a lower level to the point where it's like you're dominating so much that surely the jump is there is a jump to this level, but it it won't be that much just based off of your pure athleticism and, and what you've been able to accomplish so far. So I love the pickup. I, I I think that these guys usually do pan out for, for Oklahoma state. So I totally agree with you. Yeah. And just watching some film on him primarily in the slot, as I mentioned, he's more of a slot guy. A lot of his rushes look to be jet sweeps and not just straight up like running back out of the backfield. He moves well after the catch. He's very shifty, as you could tell from the return touchdowns. But he also shows off that jumping ability and jumping contested catch ability on defense and offense. He went up and grabbed, high-pointed a ball at the safety spot in the huddle tape I watched. So I love I love Lopez. I think he's going to be an awesome, awesome future Oklahoma State dynamic receiver, return man, special teams guy. So I think it'll be really cool. And then I know we don't normally talk about PWOs, uh, preferred walk-ons, but this guy is kind of an edge linebacker position, which uh, are interesting to the Oklahoma State team right now as this Brian Nardo defense evolves. So I did want to shout him out. Yamil Talib, 2024 edge, 6'1", 235 pounds from Berkner High School in Richardson, Texas. He's not rated. He chose to preferred walk-on to Oklahoma State over scholarship offers from UAB, 
Texas State, UT Rio Grande Valley, and Mississippi Valley State. And the interesting thing about him, Cade, and one of the ma- one of the real me- reasons I wanted to bring him up, his uncle is Akib Talib, former <laughs> Kansas All-American and NFL standout cornerback. So it's pretty awesome. I think Oklahoma State, Cade, is actually getting close. I think they're at the 85 scholarship limit with the recent transfer portal pickup. I think they're getting close to the 130 players in the program limit with some of these videos. <laughs> I can't confirm that, but just kind of counting through the roster and who all left and who's coming back. So Talib was defensive player of the year in Richardson, Texas, first team, all city, the Berkner Rams made the playoffs. He was the leading tackler. He said Oklahoma state wants him to play linebacker. So I, I think it's pretty awesome. He's also teammates of one of Oklahoma state's top 2025 targets in Berkner cornerback Kobe Foreman. So it might help out that recruiting there. But Cade, any uh, any thoughts on Talib? Uh, we we love good bloodlines uh, here at Oklahoma State, <laughs> and um, I I love I love the pick, um, especially at a preferred walk on. I mean, he was you know captain on his team um, in Richardson. I mean, UAB and Texas State offered those yeah. are solid lower level programs. This is a kid that I would put near the top of likely to get a scholarship or, you know, compensated through NIL or something at his time at Oklahoma during his time at Oklahoma state. I, I think he's got the tools, um, really interesting prospect. And the the funny thing is you see a lot of times, especially in big 12 schools, I know Kansas state recently, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but walk on linebackers sometimes turn into For sure. Dudes. For so. sure. I mean, it's kind of like walk-ons turn into dudes on the offensive line too. I mean, Jake Spree yeah. is, is a guy I get, it can happen. So. Yeah. So uh, a couple of visits won't go into a ton of details on these guys since they haven't, you know, committed or anything like that, but just wanted to shout out some of these official unofficial visits. We know Oklahoma state and Paul coach, Paul Randolph, the newly hired defensive line coach had his defensive line day. So a couple of these guys are defensive line edge guys. And then a couple are just, um, other positions on the team that unofficial visited recently their last weekend or sometime during last week. So the first one is Bo Onu 2025 safety six foot 195 pounds from Hebron high school in Carrollton, Texas. He's currently not rated. He's not a defensive lineman, but he came during that time period. He's got offers from Arizona, Baylor, Kansas, Kansas state, Nebraska, Texas tech, Tulsa, and UNLV Raylon Carter who we've mentioned before on the podcast, 2025 edge, 6'3", 225 pounds from Southwest High School in Fort Worth, Texas. He's got offers from Arizona State, North Texas, UAB. He recently visited TCU, and he's been to Oklahoma State multiple times. And then the last one, another edge, Josiah Hammond, 2025, 6'5", 230 pounds from Will Rogers High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's not currently rated, but has offers from Houston, Iowa State, North Texas, and Tulsa. Kate, I like all those guys. If they get offered or if they commit or anything like that or put Oklahoma State in the top three, we'll definitely go into more detail on them, but just kind of wanted to shout out some of their measurables and who they were. Defensive side of the football, man. It's where Oklahoma State's going to have to get some depth, and I love hearing all these edge guys, linebackers that they're looking at. They are pretty loaded in the secondary with some young talent. It's good to see them addressing this. Yeah. So, Cade, moving into the transfer portal news, we'll talk about the commit. A couple quick notes. Still have not seen anything on Gunnar Gundy. Cade, the longer this goes, I think he's just going to end up somewhere close back to Oklahoma, whether that be a smaller school like an Emporia State 
whether mm. that be an NEO, whether that be Oklahoma State, UCO. I know, I'm sure he and I'm sure Coach Mike Gundy think he's talented enough and want him to go to a bigger school where he could try to compete for a spot at, you know, against better competition. But it, it just feels to me like leaving Ohio that fast, and this is just, I, don't, I haven't heard anything. It's just a guess. Maybe a little homesick maybe wants to go to a smaller school to guarantee he's a starter. So we'll kind of see how it ends up. But do you, I mean, do you agree with that take or do you have any other takes on gun? No, I honestly wonder if he continues playing. Like I, I wonder if he could begin Good point. Could, could he take a, you know, a role? Is it legal to take a role at Oklahoma state? If you're still a student, I mean, I, I don't know. He's probably graduated by now. Um, I I wonder if he stays in the game like as a player or if he proceeds to, uh, you know, his his coaching career. So we'll we'll see. Um, But yeah, I think the other option is he does stay in the game and ends up somewhere like you just mentioned. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll keep it updated. Obviously, anything Gundy family related like that, we're obviously going to update on this podcast because it's so closely tied to Oklahoma State. Another former Oklahoma State guy. Robert Allen had reported Jaden Nixon to Sam Houston State. We mentioned it on the podcast. Sam Houston State looks to have updated their football roster. I actually was looking at it the other day to kind of see if they'd updated it because I saw a couple other teams had updated. Oklahoma State will probably update there soon. They normally do it in late February. Jaden Nixon is not on Sam Houston State's 2024 football roster. I have not seen anything on any of the transfer portal recruiting sites that say he's committed anywhere is Jaden Nixon. Another guy who, to your point with Gunnar Gundy, that maybe he's decided to hang it up, man, that one would, would really be sad. Um, I, it's, there are so many stories like this though, that guys get in the portal and think, and I'm not saying Jaden Nixon did, maybe he was well-educated on the potential dangers of this, but like, you get in the portal and nowadays there's no guarantee you wind up somewhere that you want to end up. And and that is for a guy like Jaden Nixon, who's got talent to play at a school like Sam Houston state probably could. I mean, I, I don't know what their running back room looks like, but he's, he's got starter ability at lower levels of division one football. So I, that's, that's disappointing. He'll end up somewhere. That's, that's my gut feeling is he's too, too, athletic and talented to not find a spot somewhere unless he just as you said decides i'm done yeah i mean his cousin plays at sam houston state i believe it's his cousin so uh, it all signs pointed to there so we'll kind of keep that updated he hasn't posted anything on twitter about it or anything like that i haven't heard anything i know you haven't heard anything Mm -hmm. so not that it's huge news or anything but it's interesting because this is a guy who contributed at oklahoma state on offense on special teams as a return man so It'll be interesting to see how it goes. The only other guy who's technically, you know, last we heard not really in the portal, Tyrone Weber, he put out a kind of cryptic tweet on Twitter the other day from his account showing all the places he's played, high school, college, JUCO, in Canada, and then a question mark. So it makes me think maybe he got released and is eligible to transfer, or maybe he's going to try to go pro in one of the professional leagues, but even though he's not really that tied to Oklahoma state, we'll definitely keep you updated there as well. But it's, it's always interesting to kind of check his Twitter timeline. Cause there's some, 
there's some interesting tweets on there. Some content, good content there. I would agree with (laughs) you. (laughs) But the big news, Caden, probably the biggest news of the pod, and we've kind of buried the lead here, and that's my fault for making the agenda. (laughs) No, this is what we do. You got to listen to get here. (laughs) You got to get. You don't just get the nuggets up front. You got to listen to to earn your stripes. You got to listen to us banner, one ad read, and then hear yeah. us ra- ramble on about we got bills to pay. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so they get, it's pronounced day one. I've heard him say it like that. And also on the Virginia Tech media guide, day one, even though it kind of looks like Dwayne to me, day one Lofton, Virginia Tech receiver, 5'11, 189 pounds, visited Stillwater last weekend. We mentioned that on the pod. He committed. He will be enrolled for the summer, not for the spring because it's too late now with the spring semester. I don't think that's a big issue because he's been in college football now for three seasons and played all three seasons. The only thing that scares me about this, Cade, is to my knowledge, there's no way to officially commit as a transfer guy until you enroll. And that's what we talked about last year on the pod. So he technically could pull a uh, Sean Tyler at any point if he wanted to until he enrolls in the summer. That's so, a great point. Hopefully that doesn't happen. I don't think it will. But he said Coach Dunn told him he'll be playing a little bit of inside, a little bit of outside receiver. He said that uh, Coach Dunn and him have had a relationship going back to high school. He He's noted that Oklahoma State has a good track record of getting guys in the NFL. That's why it sounds like he made the move because if you saw anything on Twitter – Virginia Tech's coaching staff, his receivers coach, were applauding him, saying one of the best guys I've ever coached, wish him the best. He played in the bowl game after entering the transfer portal and didn't even really get that many snaps at receiver. He primarily played special teams, got a fumble recovery. So you can tell this is a team-first guy. I saw Evan Watkins, who writes for Hokies 247, said – this about Lofton. He's a great teammate. After entering the transfer portal, he asked if he could play in Virginia Tech's bowl game. Despite spending most of his time in the game on special teams, he ended up making a pivotal fumble recovery during the game. That's the kind of guy he is. So it's pretty awesome. He was a guy that was recruited by former Virginia Tech coach Justin Fuente. TCU tried to flip him late in the process. He stayed with the new coaching regime that moved on. I talked about his receivers coach, Fontel Mines, saying – Great teammate. So happy for my guy. You won't find a better teammate, person, or worker. Showed up every single day, no matter the circumstances. So proud of you. He's got one year of eligibility remaining, Cade, but it is important to note, he also could redshirt if he wanted to because he has not redshirted yet. He played all three seasons. 2022 was his most prolific. He started all 11 games he played in. 22 receptions on 43 targets for 254 yards. That was the third most on the team. Two touchdowns. He did have five drops, which is a 19% drop rate, which I've seen multiple people note kind of in Virginia Tech previews up to last season, noted his issues with drops in that year. Played 549 snaps out of a possible 762 at 72%, the most of any wide receiver on the team that year. Going into 2023, Virginia Tech got some transfers and some new guys coming in. So he took a little bit of a step back He only played 22% of the snaps, but that was still the fifth most of any receiver on the team. He was number two on the depth chart that season behind Jalen Lane. Six receptions on 11 targets for 58 yards. No drops, no fumbles. He also played special teams at Virginia Tech, and he played 
I mean, even in 2021, he played quite a few snaps. So he's played inside, he's played outside, he's played kick return, kick coverage, punt return, punt coverage. He's returned kicks, and he was the backup punt returner, even though he didn't return one in a game. I watched three games from the 2023 and then 2022 season. I loved what I saw from this guy, Cade. I know I'm rambling on, but I wanted to throw it back to you saying, I think this is the perfect Arlen Bruce replacement. That's perfect. That is my prevailing thought. We talked about that last week specifically, that it it felt like they wanted that. And with day one, because I've been thinking it's Dwayne this entire time, with day one, <laughs> I think that they they have a clear prototype for what they're trying to do at these inside and some outside, uh, you know, but I mean, primarily opposite Brennan Presley. Like this is what they're trying to do. And so for me, I think they went out and got a great replacement, but I also think his athletic upside, like Arlen Bruce was seemingly a great possession receiver, a great route runner. I think Daywan has better athletic upside. Like I think he's more of the Brennan Presley type of mold to where I think that you're going to have some issues if you're a, you're a linebacking core, seeing if you've got to cover these guys in space. I really like the pickup and it's your third power five pickup out of the transfer portal this off season. I, I think they did a lot of good work there. Yeah. And I know it was something you were calling for out of the transfer portal. We we both kind of agreed on multiple positions and one you pointed out to me that I kind of wasn't even thinking about at first was wide receiver, especially after losing a guy like Blaine green after losing a Jaden Bray, but you didn't really need it so much at the Z or X spot with Dijon Stribling, Rashad Owens, and Talon Shetron coming back. You kind of needed that slot guy. Oh, and Kale Cavanis. You kind of needed that slot guy yep. or that second slot guy in 10 personnel behind Brennan Presley with Arlen Bruce going to the CFL. You had Tyke Andrews, who we got, you know, we know got snaps last year, but it's only going to be his second year in college football. Lofton is going into his fourth season after and he's played over what 800 snaps now That's in the crazy. power five level he's got you know, over 30 catches uh, over 60 targets and has a ton it's i think it's very underrated that he has so much special teams experience almost 200 snaps on special teams when you lose nick session when you lose Jaden nixon when you lose elijah collins who were all three major contributors on special teams in different aspects. So I think it's big time. The other thing to note, Cade, Tyler Bowen, that was Virginia Tech's offensive coordinator in 2022 and 2023. It's a power spread type system. 11P, 12P, mixed in with some 10P, a lot of zone running scheme, a lot of RPOs. They mixed in some gap, a lot of route concepts that Oklahoma State runs and mesh and snag. They even add in some sale, which we've seen Oklahoma State use kind of that sale route, maybe not that sale concept as much. So he's going to fit in pretty well. I think the only real change is going to be going from teams that had solid running quarterbacks and drones. And I can't think of the guy from 2022, what his name is, but going to an Alan Bowman, who's more of a pocket passer type is really the only big change. I think he'll see my question to you can have two of them. The first one is specifically about Lofton. Do you think, if Pres say Presley doesn't get injured, we saw him play like 95% of the snaps. 
if that's the case again this year, do you think we see Lofton mixed in? Or do you think we see a Tyke Andrews mixed in and they save Lofton redshirt him? Or do you think Lofton is your guy in 10P as that second slot? They play him on special teams. Maybe he's a backup return guy. He spells Presley a little bit more, and you see Presley actually come out of the game a little bit more to get what I think are some much-needed breathers to avoid getting injury and to avoid getting worn out as the season progresses on. What way do you think Oklahoma State plays this? I think they probably play him as he's ready to go now. I mean, Tyke Andrews played a little bit. We, we got some glimpse of him, but it wasn't a lot. I think they really like him. But, you know, I, I when he was brought in, we even kind of thought, you know, that's a that's a two year down the down the road guy. This is getting into year two. I think Lofton is I I think they try to plug and play him personally, because if you get to a point where Tyke Andrews has been on the bench for, you know, two years and you feel really good about it, then great. But you also have the transfer portal. So I think that they brought him in to play him now. Um, I really do love the flexibility that he offers with that red shirt still intact because they could do anything they want. So we'll, we'll see. I, I think they play him, though. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that he's going to be a guy that you put in right away. And, Cade, my second question to you. So now at the wide receiver position, and, and correct me if you feel differently, but Dijon Stribling, Brennan Presley, Rashad Owens, probably your three starters. Behind them, you've got guys like Talon Shetron, Daywan Lofton, and Kale Cabanis. And then behind them, you've got who all six of those guys have Power 5 football experience, yep. and some of them quite a bit of it. Then behind them, you've got Cam Hurd, Jalen Pope, Tyke Andrews, and not to mention the incoming freshman guys. Any concerns now about wide receiver depth? No, I'm good on wide year. receivers. Uh, that that uh, that was a good pickup. I'm good now. Okay. <laughs> Outside of defensive ends, who you know, you and I have expressed our concern about the defensive end position, which you know. We love Jaleel Johnson and Deshaun Brown. I think it's just the overall like experience at that position. So let's leave defensive ends out. Are you concerned about after this Lofton pickup? What is the position group that you're concerned about on the entire team? And and if there's more than one, tell me. But is there any, or is there more than one? Is there one? What position group are you concerned about now outside of defensive end? I I. Kind of still worried about linebacker a little bit. I think the Xavier Benson loss was, was, you know, significant. He played really well last year. Um, and I don't feel like they reloaded immediately. I think they're going to still be all right. But if there was one, you know, plug, it would be, it would be that Xavier Benson spot that I feel like is a little bit of a step back from last year. So that, that would be yeah. my answer. I love that call out. We actually got a question about that. So I'll save my thoughts okay. on it for the okay. question, but I love that one. I think for me, and it's not, I really don't think it's as big of a deal as like maybe you're calling out linebacker or defensive end tight end, but it's almost the exact same spot. It was last year and we made it out. Okay. Knock on wood with the Josiah Johnson. Cause you didn't see really anybody else play. You saw Braden Cassidy play kind of, you know, that position a little bit more of the fullback role, but you reloaded with Tyler Foster, but behind Tyler Foster, you have Quentin Stewart who's played a little bit. And then you have no one that's played really in a game at tight end. The one positive is you do have Jake Schultz 
at fullback who has played quite a bit in that cowboy back fullback role in game. So you can kind of mix him in there. So it's not, that's why I say it's not that big of a concern because technically that fullback spot, you can kind of use as the H back tight end as well, but that would be the only other one I would kind of call out because everywhere else, depth wise, experience wise, I'm not saying you couldn't get better players like, you know, from uh, like other, I'm not saying Oklahoma state has the best players at every position in the country, but depth and experience wise, I don't think any other position is a concern to me. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that they have built a, a, big 12 championship contending roster this year. So anything I'm saying is kind of, you know, nitpicking. Like I, yeah, I'm not same. that concerned about anything. Awesome. Well, Kate, I think that's all we've got on football. And if you're ready, I think it's time to hit basketball and maybe some other sports. Before yeah, let's do it. Let's send it to a quick word from one of our sponsors and we'll come right back and talk basketball. We want to say a quick thank you to sponsor the feels like 45 podcast classic Overland. Classic Overland specializes in restoring original Land Rover Defenders designed with your unique style and specifications. They go to great lengths to find quality vintage Defenders before they begin the restoration process, and their team of experts will guide you through the various exterior and interior options to create the perfect build. Our friends Luke Reed and Robert Dennis of Classic Overland are both Oklahoma State graduates and will work with you through the process to ensure you have a great experience. And in addition, if you purchase a Classic Overland Defender and mention this podcast, the Feels Like 45 podcast, their team will donate a portion of the proceeds to the Pokes with a Purpose NIL Collective. To learn more, you can visit their website, classicoverland.com, and you can contact Luke and Robert at robert at classicoverland.com. Thank you, and go Pokes. All right, Dustin, great talk on the football side of things. Good to see uh, the direction there. Basketball, you and I are are recording on the wrong cadence because we keep talking a week removed from a win and very recently removed from an absolute butt kicking. And I think that's like two weeks in a row where this has happened because what ends up happening is you get a really nice win over Kansas State. In Gallagher, Iba, really, again, you had to win. Um, we we mentioned previous uh, on, on last week's show that Ken Palm didn't like them to win that game, um, but it was one that they were most closely favored to winning, but still not favored uh, remaining on the schedule. But then you go to Houston, a game in which you felt like you were going to be outclassed, and you certainly were really <laughs> from the jump. Uh, so, Dustin going into Bedlam in Norman tomorrow uh, on the heels of, you know, Toby Keith's passing. It sounds like they're doing a, uh, a red solo cup night. It's going to be, that's going to be awesome. In Norman. Yeah, it is fantastic. It's going to be rocking in Norman uh, for once. And I, <laughs> I just don't like Oklahoma state's chances on the road these days anywhere. Really? I, if they're on the road, I, I I'm not, I'm not loving their prospects. Kate, here's the one positive that I'll throw out at you. They've got a little pattern going right now. They've gone win-loss, win-loss. Okay. So you'd think if they want to keep that pattern going, you'd hit a win here. But yeah, I mean, looking back, great call out by you on us. Our cadence, we're getting the, we're closer to the loss every time. And then the win happens the day after we record, but didn't get to watch the Kansas State game live. Actually went back and watched that one 
on replay, which was a great one to watch on replay, them getting the win and, you yeah. know, just being able to kind of fast forward through some of the breaks. It was and the uh, scoring it was, droughts. It, it was so honestly lovely. probably the best watch of the year for me on, on basketball. I'm not saying it was like the best Oklahoma State's played all year or anything. And maybe it was, but it, it was the best watch for me. And then the Houston game, the 79-63 final score. Normally we say games are closer than they appear on the final score. This one was the opposite way. It, I mean, that was a 30-point victory probably, yeah. like when you really think about it. You've got the weird Kelvin Sampson getting thrown out possibly on purpose. I think he wanted and to go home. He said that he was like playing hide-and-seek or something with his grandkids or something after. Did you hear that? No, I didn't. No. I mean, he was joking, but like maybe he wasn't joking. So – and then, you know, with his son being one of the assistant coaches and kind of the next coach in line, oh it's God. like maybe he let him get some experience. Uh, that was so weird. I honestly think he should have got suspended for that. I thought he was I've never that seen, in the face. I've never seen a coach walk across the court during the game action. I totally agree that that was... I thought he was going to shoot a J. <laughs> Give me the ball. Shoot a J. I, it was, I mean... If he if he ever possessed the rock, it would have been up there with some of the best, you know, uh, coaching ejections that we've seen in recent memory. But for me, it's like I would be kind of pissed off if I'm Mike Boynton, like, you know, Boynton has been thrown out of a game before, but I, I, I just didn't like it. And it kind of remind Kelvin so disrespectful. It was disrespectful. That's exactly what it is. Thank you for making it much simpler for me. But I, I, I I'm not a Kelvin Sampson guy. It, that comes from his OU days. He's a fantastic coach. But that was like a oh yeah, I kind of remember this. So um, to me, Dustin, the the story of the game, as you said, it was not as close as the final score appeared. At one point, I tweeted this in the second half, but Oklahoma State had attempted 30 free throws and they were down by 30, which is I don't even know how that is possible. I mean, I, I've never seen something like that. Certainly not for Oklahoma State, but I, I, I wanted to like tweet the Elias Sports Bureau and be like, "Look into this because this, this might be a like never has happened in the history of sports before." The, the one thing I will say, and Kate, I know you know this, but just you know, we're making a couple of jokes about it. Uh, <laughs> Oklahoma State's playing at Houston, who's number one. Coming into that game, they were number one in defensive efficiency. Yeah. They were number two in forcing turnovers. I can't, I mean, you'd have to go back a little while to pick an Oklahoma State roster that I think would have a great chance of beating this Houston team in Houston, like a recent Oklahoma State team. So it's not just this team. I think all teams in the country, all Oklahoma State teams in recent years would struggle here. And they actually, they did play better statistically in the second half. The first half was just a real struggle. You're talking about the free throws. They had a ton of turnovers. It was tough to watch. And, you know, in that Kansas State game, you see some positives. You see some positives from certain guys every game. You know, Keon has six offensive rebounds in that Kansas State game. I thought Jamiron Keller looked good on defense. And then in the Houston loss, you get small again with 18. John Michael Wright chipped in 13. And there's positives here and there. Getting back to the OU game, though, I saw Marshall Scott point this out on pistols firing. He's been throwing out some great stats on basketball recently. So shout out to our guy Marshall, who's guest hosted the pod with me yeah. before. So friend of the pod, friend of the pod. 
Oklahoma State's total like experience in Bedlam on their current roster is like just John Michael Wright and Keon Williams. Yes. And they've played like a total of a hundred minutes in Bedlam basketball. That's probably pretty close to Oklahoma's roster experience. Yes. It might actually similar. Be yes. <laughs> um, yes. Because, he called that out as well. Yeah. They have absolutely reloaded the roster. Uh, probably saved Porter Moser's job. Um, but yeah, Dustin, it is, um, it is a bad, it's just a tough spot for Oklahoma state tomorrow night. Um, I, I, I think that there is a, a really good chance that you see something similar. I think that they've just, Oklahoma's just got a lot of talent and they didn't have that last year. They had no athletic ability and they have totally changed the complexion of their roster. Um, meanwhile, Oklahoma state is just kind they're, they're a little bit rudderless and you know, I, they they've, we've talked ad nauseum about should you have brought in so many freshmen in a, in a do or die quote unquote year, but I think you look at Oklahoma, who built entirely out of the transfer portal, and now they're having a season in which they're going to go to the NCAA tournament. And last year, they were in Oklahoma State's spot. So it, it just goes to show you that this can turn quickly. It's just a matter of building your roster the right way. Yeah, I agree. I did last note on basketball before we move on, unless you have anything else, Cade. I saw Mike Boynton say that him and Porter Mosier have discussed continuing Bedlam basketball. Probably not next season because of the non-conference games already being scheduled. But it sounds like those two are going to try to keep this going. I, I mean, if Mike Boynton's still here, I can kind of see where he's coming from. He's 9-5 and five in the rivalry and oh, he's yeah. won like seven of the last eight. So I'd probably want to keep it going too. It's like probably the thing that's outside of just his own character and you know he's he is a likable guy he beats oklahoma a lot which will endear you uh maybe beyond what is reasonable but like to me dustin i i, I do think that bedlam basketball means a lot to the community and basketball's different like uh i i went to the bedlam game last year and there's so many little kids that are like you know just basketball fans and love seeing the the two logos going up against each other it's not as, you know, visceral. They, they, Oklahoma didn't move to the SEC for basketball, and so I'm less concerned about it. I, I'd, I'd personally like to see it continue in basketball, but we all, we've also kind of punked Oklahoma for a while, so I, I like that trend. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a it's definitely a positive trend for the basketball. Dustin, team one one stuff. question for you before we move into uh, some other news and notes and, and questions. Looking ahead at the schedule, Oklahoma State's got two conference wins. We've kind of been doing this, but I, I want to ask you the question. They need to win one more game to not have the worst conference record that they've had since they were, I mean, you know, 1950s or 40s. Do you think they get that? So they get UCF at home still, right? Yep. And Texas Tech at home, Oklahoma at home, and BYU at home. I think their best chances are probably the second Bedlam matchup at home. I believe it's also on a Saturday. I could see that being maybe the, the most highly attended yeah, basketball game sure. this season at home. Not saying it's going to be a sellout or anything, obviously, but I think it'll be loud in there compared to some of the other games. I think they they got a good shot there. I think they could beat UCF, who you know is a solid team, but I, I think they could beat them. I do see one more win, and I think it comes from one of those two games. What about you? Yeah, I I actually I I feel like they're gonna get two. Like I think they're yeah. gonna win that UCF game, and they'll steal one. Texas is actually not very good. I think they actually could steal that one, 
at Cincinnati is one that, you know, if things go right, you know, a Keon Williams gets hot, then maybe. I actually think that they may get four, and four might be enough for Mike Boynton to to keep his job going into next year. That's really what I was was getting at is if they get four, they he may stay. And uh we'll we'll see what happens, if, especially if they get one in the Big 12 tournament. But yeah, just kind of looking ahead and seeing seeing where this season ends up. So we we said five. So if they get to five, we can say that we were right. So I just didn't think they were going to beat K State. That I, I didn't think that that was going to happen. And then it didn't. So it's like, okay, well, you could get two more reasonably. So. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to kind of watch. Okay. Just a couple quick notes before we get into questions. And, you know, some of them might not be super quick, but wanted to hit wrestling real quick just because they're still on fire. They beat Arizona State last Friday and then they come back on Sunday and beat number five, Missouri, 24 to 10 in Columbia for their ninth win in a row. Dayton Fix actually bumped up to 141 pounds and went against Missouri's number 26 ranked Josh Edmond and got the two to one decision victory over Edmond. So that was pretty awesome. And I believe that's because Missouri didn't have anybody wrestling at his normal weight. So that, I mean, just goes to show you how versatile this Oklahoma State wrestling squad is. They've moved up to number two in this week's NWCA coaches poll. It's the first time Oklahoma State's reached the top two since 2018, 2019, since the 2018, 2019 season. Troy Spratley was the wrestler of the week in the Big 12 after dominating some ranked opponents last weekend. It's going to be awesome that they go up against South Dakota State on Saturday night, 6 p.m. It'll be on ESPN Plus. I would definitely tune in because this Cowboy team is on fire right now. They're number two in the country, Kate. Yeah, Dustin, that Iowa duel is going to be outstanding. I've been to one yes. Oklahoma State duel in my entire life. This will be my second, and I will <laughs> be there with my dad, and it's going to be outstanding. So I can't wait for that. It's going to be awesome. And, and they're still undefeated as well, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so it'll be awesome to see. Moving on to baseball, softball. We'll hit baseball first. They had media day with, uh, and it was Coach Josh Holiday first, and then there was Nolan Schubert, Tyler Wolfert, uh, Blake, and then Holiday, the pitcher who only has one L in his last name. Kid, not a ton of huge takeaways from the media day. I've got notes on other things related to Rob Walton's discussion with Tom Dorado on the radio. My my. Big takeaway, though, from the media day was, and we already talked, we probably should have waited on the baseball breakdown. We did it the week before the media day, so we've kind of gone through the lineup and all that stuff, so not going to rehash. You guys can go back and listen to last week's podcast where we kind of went through all of that since Josh kind of talked to Robert Allen before and basically said everything he said at media day. But he just seems so relaxed, and it's almost like a Coach Gundy type Mm. thing going into the season when he's relaxed. Josh just seems relaxed and it makes me, I think he's really, really comfortable with how the Cowboys are shaping up at the plate. And I think he sees the kind of potential for this pitching staff. And there's a chance it could turn into a really solid season for Oklahoma state is, it's kind of my take on it. 
Yeah, I I love that. And and maybe that's true. You know, baseball doesn't get the amount of preseason coverage that other sports get. And so sometimes your information is limited. You know, we we look through a lens of, well, what happened last year? What'd you bring in? What do we know about them? And oftentimes that may not be enough to accurately judge this team. And so, I mean, we'll see. I I, I just personally have a uh belief that the pitching, you know, uh, the state of the pitching at Oklahoma State has not changed for quite some time. And if that happens this year and it, it's the it's the missing link and great, I, it's just kind of a I'll believe it when I see it type thing for me. Yeah. And speaking of pitching, let's get into it. So Rob Walton was on with Tom Dorado. I actually don't know when it originally aired. I think it was sometime over the last week. But Robert Allen played it on his show. So I caught it. And these kind of these aren't really in any order. It was just kind of how Rob Walton was breaking down the pitching staff. So I'll just kind of go through them all the notes, Cade, and we can just kind of recap them at the end. But he said Gabe Davis has been working on a curveball that's looked really good in their inner squad games. Might be working as a starter. He might also get a shot to be the closer. Carson Binge, Brennan Phillips, Jansen Kiesel all look to be in the rotation of starters, he did say binge. We know binge had the quad issue at the end of last year that led into the summer and he didn't pitch all of summer or fall. And he has not pitched in an inner squad game until this weekend, but it looks like he's going to probably continue to stay either in that Sunday spot where we saw him a lot last year, or he may be your weekday guy on Tuesdays. The reasoning for that coach Walton said is because He's so good in the outfield and he's the best. He called him the best hitter on the team, the best all around hitter. They don't really want to use him solely as a pitcher and get him worn out on the mound because he's such an asset at the plate. And I get it. It sucks because he's a really good pitcher, but we'll kind of see, you know, with him not pitching very much at all. I wonder if he starts the season out on weekdays instead of as a Sunday guy. I, I mean, oh man, do you think that that maybe makes sense just with not, a lot of reps at pitcher. Yeah, I definitely think you can't wear him out on the mound and, you know, kind of get half and half of, of him. So I would caution against that. But I mean, I, I, I definitely like the idea of that. Yeah. And next coach Walton mentioned holiday who he said throws four solid pitches, which is great to have in your arsenal. He said, he's been really good in the fall, in the inner, in the inner squad games, he was the 2023 NJCAA JUCO world series, most outstanding pitcher. So he's got some accolades at the JUCO level, kind of see how he, you know, plays for Oklahoma state. He was one of the guys at media day. So, you know, coach Josh holiday thinks he's going to be a major contributor. Walton also talked about Sam Garcia. He's been one of the most consistent guys. He said, especially one of the most consistent left-handed guys said in the fall that the batting average on him was under 100 in the fall. So it's pretty cool. The next guy he talked about was Robert Kranz, the Wichita state transfer. He said he was incredible in the fall. All the players at media day when asked about the pitching staff brought Kranz up. So I think that's pretty cool. Little disappointed in the Penn state transfer, Tommy Mahalski. Rob Walton didn't say that. I'm saying I'm a little disappointed because his note on him was he's been kind of inconsistent. And I think he was inconsistent in the Cape Cod league this summer mm. as well. So it's been tough. Aaron Weber, the OU transfer, you know, you'd think you'd love to get another Ben Abram in, in your OU transfer, but Aaron Weber didn't throw it all in the fall 
due to an elbow issue. So we'll kind of see how that turns in into. And it, he said Dom Reed, Kyle Beatty, those guys could mix in as starters or help out of the pin. Positively, he did say Ryan Bogus is throwing the ball the best he's ever thrown it. And then speaking of another guy coming off of injury negatively, Ryan Yur, he said he's still kind of working back off that injury. Mm. You'd love to get your back as another left-handed arm. For sure. O'Toole, Evan O'Toole, they used a lot last year. Rob Bolton says he's not sure if he's going to start or come out of the pin, but they're going to use, they went to him a ton last year. I'm sure they'll do it again. Overall, his takeaway on this pitching staff, Cade, is you're losing the velocity and maybe some of the power strikeouts from guys like Juwan Watts Brown and Nolan McClain and Stebbins. But he thinks you're gaining more high IQ and skill pitchers. Whereas, and I, I thought when he said this, it's something you and I talked about a lot last year with Juwan Watts Brown, McLean, and even Stebbins later in the season. You know, it'd be strikeout, strikeout, walk, home run, strikeout, right. Right. you know, in, in some of these innings. So they're giving up six hits, but they're giving up six runs. Right. Whereas, he thinks the way these guys can make guys hit ground balls, you know, maybe you give up six six hits, but there's only two runs, which allows this Oklahoma State pitching staff to kind of really, or Oklahoma State lineup to really get runs going. And if they're able to hit and generate runs, this pitching staff can kind of skill and IQ their way into victories. Yeah, I completely agree, Dustin. That would that would be great. That is really kind of what was was missing and what ailed Oklahoma State last year. And I kind of remember it being the year before is just not being able to get out of jams and definitely putting yourself in them. So um again, it remains to be seen for me, but I mean, there is some transfer talent in there. There's no question about it. So fantastic breakdown from you on on the state of uh, the state and the pitching staff. Softball, we talked about them a lot last week. They had media day, but we'd already heard Gajewski, you know, talk on Robert Allen's podcast. So it basically kind of the same stuff. They're going to be mixing around the lineup a lot early. Some of the same names he mentioned, uh, Carly Godwin, Rosie Davis. They're They're kind of the big players. They played Cal State Northridge yesterday, run-ruled them in five innings, looked a little shaky at times when freshman Katie Coots got on the mound, but first ever appearance in college softball for her, so I'm going to give her a pass. Kilfoyle started, came back in, Rosenberry closed it out. Rosenberry was throwing some heat behind the ball, looked confident, which we saw her a little shaky at times. Bunch of people played in the field. Talon Edwards got the start at third. We thought she may start at shortstop. Bloodworth actually played short. Everywhere else was kind of similar to what we had talked about on the pod. A lot of hits. You saw Schneidmiller come in at catcher and get a big hit. Uh, unfortunately, there was a huge collision from Cal State Northridge in the outfield, which I, I clipped on Twitter. Uh, l- luckily, it seems like both the girls were okay. But, you know, a nice victory. They play Loyola Marymount today. It's not going to be on TV. I think it was initially going to be streamed somewhere, and it's not. Then they've got Utah State on Saturday, UC Riverside on Saturday in a doubleheader, and they wrap it up Sunday on ESPN at UCLA. So it'll be a lot of fun to kind of watch this team as they progress forward. But, Kate, I think that's all I've got before questions. I've got a uniform review on yesterday's softball match matchup. Uh, black, white, black, outstanding on yes, uh, softball. It. And I, they don't do it very much. So that was, that was really nice. I'm a big fan. 
They've got a ton of jersey combos in softball. Yeah, they do. And when they go with the black helmet, white jersey with the orange numbers, black pants, it's a really good look. I like it a yeah. lot. I mean, they've got they've got orange pinstripes, black pinstripes, white pinstripes, right? And then they've got yeah. the solid orange, the solid white, the solid black. And then you got the it's, icy whites. Like, don't yeah, you can't forget those. They've almost got as many as the football team. Yeah, honestly, jersey might. combos. So I think they might. All well, right. Dustin, great breakdown on softball. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, and we've got, Kate. we've got about, I think we've got six questions. They're all awesome. I think we'll be able to get through all of them. So let's get straight into it. First, we've got Ryan at Ryan 30554129. Thanks, Ryan. He sends in a lot of great questions. He said, any updates on Rawls, Wright, Brooks injuries? Are they participating this spring? Kate, if you don't mind, I can probably take this one because we'd actually talked about it on a yeah, recent podcast. So yeah. Justin Wright is cleared. He's cleared for duty in the spring. I'm assuming he's not going to be hundred percent full contact, full go in the spring coming off that ACL tear from last year. He's the Tulsa linebacker transfer, but he is cleared to play uh, along with you mentioned Brooks, but just on the offensive line in general, Dalton Cooper and Jake Springfield have had various injuries that they're going to be, you know, correcting and rehabbing from. I expect them to not be a full go in the spring. And then Jason Brooks jr. From everything Robert Allen has said, he's not going to be, he's not going to have any contact in the spring, but he's going to be able to participate. Everybody should be good to go though for fall camp. As far as Rawls, all I've seen is that he's going to be full go for the season. Makes me feel like he's probably in the same boat as right where he's cleared for the spring, but probably won't be a hundred percent full go. So that's kind of all that I've seen or heard on those injuries. Yeah. Well, no news is usually good news. Rawls is the only one that it's been like super quiet on. So you hope that that's, uh, that's not anything of note. And I don't think it is, but again, I, I, I like the no news is good news approach. When yeah. It comes to agree. Like this, so next we've got glory cowboy at Golrig Sankar. He says, who are the young secondary guys you would think would step up this year? How do you think the secondary as a group will perform this year compared to last Kate, I'm going to throw it over to you for the kind of second part of the question, but let me just read off who. So they're returning the guys that started last year, they're returning all of them. So at safety. So Daniels, Rucker, Rawls, if you want to count him, and then Epps, Dylan Smith, they've added Kobe Hilton, Ray Gay, and Ty Williams. Their entire two deep at safety is back, aside from Nick Session, who I think at times wasn't actually even listed on the two deep last year. And they added Kobe Hilton from UTEP corner. They lose DJ McKinney, but they keep Cam Smith, Kale Smith, Corey black and the Arkansas state transfer from last season, Kenneth Harris. I, I mean, do you, do you see any young guys maybe cracking not, that? I, I just, <laughs> not really they make a change to go to like, more of a true nickel, maybe. But even if they did that, I would think you'd use a Dylan Smith, Kale Smith, or Cam Smith at that spot. And one of the Smiths. And if they went to, you know, more of a boundary safety, field safety, and kind of, you know, changed up that rover spot, I think boundary safety, Rucker, Daniels, Hilton, Rawls could play either. And then at field safety, maybe an Epps, Ty Williams, Ray Gay. I love Cam Franklin. I love Tyron Ray. I love RJ Lester. Fields, Cabongo, Oliphant, Nelson, the new guys coming in. I think all these guys are super talented. You know, I mean, you guys know our feelings on Tywin Ray along with Adam Lunt. 
But with all those guys returning, unless one of them makes a huge jump, I would be shocked for one of them to get a bunch of minutes. Yeah, unsurprisingly, sorry. you nailed it. Um, I don't, I don't see a young secondary guy in the sense of a guy we have not seen yet cracking that. That it was young last year, and so my expectation is I don't see a a young guy cracking it. And then additionally, it should be, it should be. I would say significantly improved with the addition of Kobe Hilton and these guys having another offseason in their roles. I mean, you already mentioned the Smiths. Those are two guys, three that I'm I'm looking at. You know, that is that's the core of your secondary. If those three take the step, Oklahoma State's secondary will take a big step. I just I think there's I think there's going to be some kind of personnel scheme movement in Nardo's defense. It, it would kind of shock me if there wasn't. So there definitely could be guys moved around. You know, I mean, we've talked about on here, the possibility of a Kendall Daniels, maybe even moving to more of a linebacker role. Yep. I don't know if that's for sure going to happen. If I had to bet, I'd probably say no, but they're probably going to do something. So maybe guys get shifted around, but I still would be shocked if any of the defensive back freshmen from last year, or the brand new guys got any significant snaps barring any injuries. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. But I love the question. It's a great yeah, question. Uh, Brandon Ramos, at Brandon Ramos. Thanks, Brandon, for the question. He says, in my opinion, Justin Kirkland was a majority of people's offseason darlings heading into the 2023 season. What are you guys expecting from him in year two of Nardo's system in another offseason with Coach Glass? I mean, Kate, I think this one's kind of a simple answer for me. I thought he was one of the best defensive linemen on a subpar defensive line last year. And I expect him to slightly improve on it going into this year. I would, I would agree. I love the, the note that he was the media darling. Absolutely. But it was probably a jump into this level, but he, he had a good year and I, I think it's another step for him. Yeah. Well, I mean, the lot and I talked about it on the pod that you missed Cade. It's almost it's almost even hard to show a good snap from a nose tackle on film without like breaking it down, like on a YouTube video and talking yeah. through it. Like even in my Twitter videos, there's not really a way for me to like write it out always yeah. because sometimes it's not so much even taking up a double team, but it's getting an offensive lineman turned to where the running back has to adjust his running angle, his running path to where a linebacker can make a play. So really the only thing you can look at because the stats no, don't normally pop off for a three down odd front nose tackle is these PFF grades, which I, I don't love to rely on. But if you look at the PFF grades, third highest graded defensive lineman, I took out guys, you know, Landon Dean and uh, AJ Reidner were higher, but they played a combined 13 snaps. So I removed them. So he's the third highest graded defensive lineman behind Goodlow and Latou. I think both of us agree that Goodlow was better. I would probably say Kirkland was better than Latou in overall. And he was the second highest defensive lineman and fourth highest graded defensive player in run defense that played over 60 snaps. I removed the 60 snaps just because that's, you know, not even a full game's worth. And there was only one guy above him there. I believe it was Donnie Stevens. So when you look at that stuff, I mean, he was one of the better players on defense, I think, overall yeah, I agree. for Oklahoma State. So if he improves, I, I, that would be awesome. 
Yeah, they're going to need it too. I mean, we've we've talked about the situation on the defensive line. He does need to take a step. So yeah. Okay, long-time listener, first-time question from our guy, Phil Young, at Phil Young 64th. Phil, thanks so much for being a long-time listener. When anybody's a long-time listener, I'm always impressed because to put up with us for that long. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. This was the question I was referring to earlier in the podcast. How confident are you in the linebacker depth for this year? What newcomer, either freshman or from another position, would have the biggest impact there? And just to recap, and Kate, I'll throw it over to you. They lose Xavier Benson, and that's really it from the linebacker spot, which is a big loss. But I'll throw it over to you to kind of the general take on the linebacker spot. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jeff Robertson is like the the guy that stands out because he's gonna have to he's gonna have to stand out, right? Like he's gonna be asked to fill that role one way or another. And so, you know, I've already kind of spoken to my slight concern about the linebacker spot. And so if he does take a leap we've talked about a lot of guys on the defensive side taking a leap in these twitter questions that would that would mean to me he has the biggest impact because i think that's the position i'm like circling yeah and he played over 100 snaps last season i think some people that might shock some people donnie stevens got 60 i mentioned that a second ago and gabe brown your guy had had 34 which i know isn't a lot but he did play in games they've got poesa utu who was awesome on special teams Ike Isawune, who I know you and I were both really high on coming out of high school. Joe Bob's son, Chance Clements, is still on the roster if needed. Andrew McCall, Elijah Wright. I think where I'm at, Cade, though, is I think they're going to try to play Wright and Martin together. And if they do that and have Martin play Benson's spot, Mm. Then you know maybe you're a little bit worried about the depth behind those guys. It, you know, in a Donnie Stevens Brown who haven't played a ton, a ton of snaps. Robertson, I think you can put in like now with everything we heard about him from the year he got injured and then 102 snaps this past season. I think I'd count him as experienced enough, so not really worried about him. But if they go right at the Mike Oliver at the Will and Martin at the Sam Benson spot. I think I'd feel pretty good about that. I think you could even shift those guys around a little bit. You know, you talk about, he mentioned a guy from another position. If you do bring a Kendall Daniels in there as well, if they do that, then I think I'm okay with the linebacker spot overall. I I don't like think they need to move Daniels to that spot, but if they did that, I don't know if I'd have very many concerns about the depth. And if they played Martin and Wright together. Yeah. You, if they do that, if they do those things, you don't even have to move Kendall Daniels. But if you did that, yeah, my my concern really kind of goes away. But um, Martin was so impactful at the Mike spot that I just I don't know if you move him, but maybe maybe you do and you try it. So I, we'll, we'll see, Dustin. I I I I like the young talent there. Um, they just need they need to stay healthy. Is kind of my biggest yeah. concern. All right, kid, we got two more, and I know we're running out of time with our schedules, but I think we can hit them both real quick. This one, I'll just answer this one because it's a question we got on the last pod, but I wanted to shout it out because we love getting questions. Y&M underscore KSTA at G6 Stay Fly says, all Robert Allen has been doing lately is talking up Zane Floors. With him working out with other groups and being listed, at, you know, he lists his height and weight. Do you think he has a chance at seeing the field non-garbage time? Kate, if you feel differently, but when we answered this last week, yeah. I think Zane Flores is probably, he has the higher ceiling. He's probably overall more talented 
than Bowman, more athletic. But with Bowman's experience, his continuity, his chemistry with Ollie, Owens, Presley, not to mention the O-line, unless there's an injury or Bowman performing poorly, I don't think there's any way Zane takes over in the season. Now, if for some reason he ends up the starting quarterback, then then yes, obviously he would be playing. But I don't see Bowman perform underperforming during the season. So it would really only be injury to me. So I think my answer is no. I don't I don't think there's any way they make a switch if they're having a good season. My yeah, my my response hasn't changed since last week. We we spoke about it and I mean I I don't necessarily even think it would be a good thing if you saw him. I'm I'm sure he's coming along. He's got the tools, but um, yeah, I, th- I think that there's a there's a good reason that Alan Bowman's still around. So um, yeah. I haven't really changed my mind on it. Agreed. All right, last one. Corbett Klein at Corbett Klein. I love this one. He says, "Name your top five Pistol Pete logos." And then he also says, "Why is the Swinging Pete not available outside of Carson or its own website?" Kate. Just answer the second one first. I have yeah. no no idea on that. But. No clue, but you can buy it online or at Karsten. So I guess is it like a why can't you get it at the stadium? Which is yeah, a good so question. It's, but you like, can actually have because the, they pull the truck out there. <laughs> right. They do they do have it out there. I, I think, you know, like if you pull up all the Pete's, the like graphic of them, I know you've seen it. Swinging Pete is actually not on it. So it's like its own Pete, I think is kind of what he's getting at, which is a little weird, but I mean, I kind of get it. I guess it's really iconic. Yeah. Um, the Swinging Pete is amazing. My daughter is actually wearing a Swinging Pete shirt at daycare right now. I put her in at this point. <laughs> I love that. It's elite. Okay. But let's, I, let's get to the five. first part. Have yeah. you seen the bass fishing, Pete? Yes. I, I have them all up right now. I have okay. every single one. So if you need, if there's one you're forgetting and you want me to list them all off, let no, me know. No, list but, them. List them. Okay. So there's regular Pistol Pete, there's Swinging Pete, Pitching Pete, Batting Pete, Soccer Pete, Tennis Pete, Wrestling Pete. There's Plans Pete, which looks to be like Engineering Architecture Pete, Construction Pete, uh, Doctor Pete, Firefighter Pete, Business Pete, Accounting Pete, Fishing Pete, Injured Pete, which is always a strange one to me, Chef Pete, and then Jumping Pete, which is like the equestrian Pete. Oh my God. <laughs> there's okay. no... I do know I've asked this question to someone working with Oklahoma State. I do know like not all the club teams have their own license, Pete. So I don't think there's one for lacrosse last time I checked. I don't think there's a hockey, Pete, but hopefully those are created sometime soon. I'm actually surprised that these are licensed and not just like, you know, some grassroots effort by each of these departments to do this because that's fascinating. I've always liked the the Pete in the lab coat. I think that's veterinarian Pete, but I don't. I Dr. Don't actually, Pete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. That's, Pete. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. Okay, um, Pete, I've got my top five. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I'm going to be boring and iconic with the Pistol Pete. Just regular Pistol Pete is number one. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you can top regular Pistol Pete. If you were going to top regular Pistol Pete, I have Swinging Pete at two. I have Wrestling Pete at three because it's such a, just a weird looking Pete with the boots and the wrestling singlet and the bandana. Uh, It's just, and the cowboy hat. It's, I love it. I have it on a shirt, a huge one on a shirt. Accounting Pete, it gets added to, for me, because I'm a finance major, accounting minor, I got to throw accounting Pete in there. And then the number five, which I didn't even know existed until I saw 
equestrian head coach Larry Sanchez in a recent equestrian video wearing it on a hat. And if anybody knows where to get one of these hats, please let me know. I'll buy you one and myself one, but I'm going to have Jumping Pete make an appearance at number five. It is the only Pete that has like a prop that's not on the Pete's body because it's got a horse and a he's jumping. The horse is jumping in it over something. Yeah, that Dustin, that was so good. I'm kind of racking my brain here. Um, I like your list. I'll adopt it and just add like I, I think Dr. Pete. Dr. Pete is outstanding. Pete, yeah. Bass fishing Pete is outstanding. The only one that like I haven't uh thought about is business Pete because I think that's hilarious. Like it's it's just <laughs> it's just like it it ideally would be no cowboy hat, no mustache. Uh, in a suit, no boots. Like that's what so I. So do you want me to explain to you what he looks like? Yes, he's wearing. So he's he's wearing a suit top and a tie, and then he's got a briefcase that says OSU, and he's got his arm up looking at his watch. That's so good. That's so good. No, no Bluetooth in the ear though. No, like uh, wrap it looks around. Like he could. You can't see his other ear, you know, because he's turned. Maybe there is. That's awesome. I, I would have put a Vineyard Vines, you know, quarter zip and an earbud in. That's what I would have done. So uh, the one thing that does stand out to me, Pete's face is facing the same direction on all Pete's except for baseball Pete. He's looking the other way. This is really interesting. We should tweet this out for reference because I bet a lot of people, maybe they've seen it, but there's so many and they're kind of hard to pin down. Like there's a yeah, great I'll graphic. Yeah. I'll post it with the, with with the, the link. podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Great. I, that's I, great. Swinging Pete will have to be his own picture because he's not on this graphic. So. Oh, if you haven't seen Swinging Pete, then I mean, you die hard or not. So, uh, oh, I'm wrong. Swinging Pete is looking the same way as Baseball Pete. Sorry, oh, he wasn't okay. on the graphic. Okay. So those two are both looking the opposite direction. Strange. These marketing guys and their guys and gals and their design choices. Who knows? I don't understand it. But Dustin, that was a lot of fun. Any final thoughts on your favorite Pete's? No, I'm good. I do love talking Pistol Pete's though. Yeah, who who doesn't? Um, well, a great episode. Great chatting with you and catching up. And uh, yeah, look forward to uh, Super Bowl Sunday this weekend. Bedlam basketball. It's going to be a loaded sports weekend. Uh, so if you're not already, you can keep it locked with us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at FeelsLike45Pod. You can follow Dustin at Destragu. And you can follow me at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. Rest in peace, Toby Keith. And go Pokes.